Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. We lost our humanity. We lost our dignity. We got punished for something we did not do. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells the story of the Black 14. Our young lives were flipped upside down. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello, I'm Stephen Sacker and welcome to this special episode of The Documentary from the BBC World Service. I host the BBC's Hard Talk podcast, in-depth, hard-hitting interviews with newsmaking personalities. Now, 2024 is a big year for elections worldwide. In some countries, that means political uncertainty, a whiff of change in the air, but not in Russia. Russians will vote for a new president in March with zero expectation of a shift in the established order. Vladimir Putin has ruled Russia as president or prime minister for all of this century. There is every prospect of him staying in the Kremlin until 2036. Ruthless repression of dissent has been Putin's hallmark. Over the course of the last decade and more, I've spoken to the few prominent Russians ready to make a stand against Putinism – To look back on their words and their fates is telling, as the ballot boxes are again readied in Russia. On the 16th of February this year, Russian authorities announced the death in prison of the opposition leader and anti-corruption activist Alexei Navalny. That news sent shockwaves around the world, but perhaps it wasn't a surprise. Navalny was by no means the first Putin opponent to die an untimely death. So let's start with the late Boris Nemtsov. Nemtsov had been an ally of Putin's predecessor, Boris Yeltsin. When Putin emerged from relative obscurity to grab the presidency, Nemtsov became a noisy opponent. In 2015, he was shot dead close to the Kremlin. Who ordered that assassination? Well, the truth has never come out, but Putin's opponents have little doubt. Back in 2011, I went to Moscow to meet Boris Nemtsov, who was then Putin's biggest, highest-profile critic. Putin became a successor and became the president because Berezovsky was his friend. And Berezovsky financed his campaign. You know that Putin's rule is, if you are a friend, you can do whatever you want. If you are an enemy, you will be in jail. Right? If they had just one case corrupted of corruption, of my corruption, believe me, we will never talk in the hot talk on BBC. <laughs> you will came to the prison, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, and try to give me some present or whatever. That's why, you know, if you are in the opposition in this country, you have to be 100% honest. Because if Putin found just one very small point, this is the end of your life. If Vladimir Putin wants to, he can run for president in 2012. Conceivably, he could run for president again in 2018. He could be Russia's leader till 2024. He seems determined to stick around. Do you have the determination to stick around? Well, it will be disaster. And uh, um, I'm afraid that Russia will not survive. Russia survived now because of, of very expensive oil. If, like you mentioned before, oil will drop down, 
it will be the end of the country. Because these gentlemen built very expensive state, very corrupted, and with huge mismanagement. They do not know how to run the country. They, they just think about their own pockets, pockets of their lovers and friends. Boris Nemtsov's murder became a potent symbol of the dangers of opposing the Kremlin. But some activists remained undaunted. Best known of them all, Alexei Navalny, the anti-corruption campaigner and opposition leader who, like Nemtsov, was targeted for assassination. Miraculously, he survived poisoning with Novichok nerve agent in 2020. But having recuperated in Germany, he returned to Russia, knowing he was a marked man. He was swiftly convicted of financial crimes and imprisoned in the harshest of conditions. The prison authorities announced his death on February the 16th. I spoke to him at his Anti-Corruption Foundation office in Moscow back in 2017 as he made plans to run against Putin in the coming presidential election. I'm going to run and, uh, well, I'm not a naive person. I understand that Kremlin is very unhappy with me running and I understand that they will do everything to prevent me from running and recently several Kremlin's officials said that he's not allowed to, allowed to participate but still I, I'm going to appeal to the people and ask uh, for them support. I mean, in this office where we speak, you've already got your logos organized, Navalny 2018, but I put it to you that if you lose this court case, in Kirov, based on accusations of embezzlement and fraud, you will be barred from running. And whatever you tell me about your determination... It doesn't, actually, it doesn't nothing in the, current, in the current country. Well, as I said, they imprisoned me for five years and they released me on the next day. So you what, what kind of law? The same with the, my participation in mayor election. Uh, it, was, it was almost impossible to participate. But when people came in the street and said, we are not going to recognize this election without him participating. So you think you can use people power against Putin? Actually, it's only tool I can do. It's only I have. But Mr. Navalny, I'm tempted to say to you, get real. You know what happened to Khodorkovsky. You know what happened to Kasparov, who's now in exile. You know what happened to Boris Nemtsov. I am real. I can assure you that I'm real and I have a uh, my brother's spending his time in jail. Uh, he's took away from his family, and you, as you mentioned, he's in solitary confinement. And they are really torturing him every time when I'm issuing new investigations. So I'm a guy from the real life here in Russia. And I understand everything. And I do believe that people's support can prevail the strategy, what, uh, what kind of strategy Putin has against me. Boris Nemtsov, whom you knew very well, was walking down a street, just a couple of hundred meters from the Kremlin, when he was murdered. That is the reality of Moscow today. You're not immune from that. In this particular room, we have meeting with him and with the volunteers. We were preparing the big rally. And after this uh, meeting with the volunteers, we went in the street and I was arrested for the 15 days and he was killed a week later. So I understand what's going on in Russia. And I understand all, uh, a lot of risks and I understand danger, but this is my country. I'm going to fight for, for my country, and I know that I'm right. 
Another long-time Putin opponent, Vladimir Karamurza, is currently locked up in one of Russia's penal colonies. Like Navalny, this politician, activist and anti-Putin campaigner survived attempted assassination by poisoning, in his case, twice. My colleague Sarah Montague spoke to him in 2017 from Washington, where he was recovering from this second attempt on his life. She asked why he thought he'd been targeted. Well, first of all, if you look uh, at the track record of the last several years, there seemed to be an extremely high mortality rate for some reason among people who have either been critics and political opponents of Mr. Putin's regime or people engaged in independent journalism. And and as you well know, uh, these people have died uh, in different ways, some of them strange, mysterious ways, not only inside Russia but also outside, primarily in your own country where you are now. Uh, so, uh, you know, this, this doesn't really fit into a normal statistical model, this high mortality rate. And uh, in, terms of, in terms of my own case, again, I don't have any specific information. I didn't receive any threats. There were no warnings. This just happened out of the blue both times, both in 2015 and now. In order to understand why this is such a big deal, uh, it's important to understand the nature of the regime that we have in power in our country today. And in, in so many ways... Uh, Vladimir Putin's regime is similar to what we had back in the Soviet times. Uh, we, have, uh, we have media censorship. We have the lack of free and fair elections in our country. We have political prisoners, dozens of people uh, sitting in jail only for their political beliefs and political activities. And I can go on. But for all these similarities, there is one very important difference. And that is that while there were uh, persecuting dissidents and engaging in anti-Western propaganda, members of the Soviet Politburo didn't hold their money in Western banks. They didn't send their children to study in Western schools. They didn't buy uh, uh, yachts and luxury real estate and luxury cars in Western countries. Leaders and operatives of the current regime do all that. They want to rule inside Russia like it's a third world dictatorship. But they want to use all the privileges and, and freedoms and opportunities of the Western world when it comes for themselves and for their families, and also for storing their ill-gotten gains. And we think that this hypocrisy and this double standard has to stop. And what about your role? Because there you are recovering in Washington, but you plan to go back, don't you? Do you not expect another attempt on your life? Well, first of all, I will definitely go back. I will definitely resume my work. I think uh, those of us who believe in a different future for Russia, in a different vision for Russia, who want to see Russia uh, become a normal, modern, democratic European country, Uh, we have a responsibility. We cannot just run away and give up. We have to continue our work, and we will do it, and I will do it, and I I will absolutely go back. Uh, I don't know when that will happen, because uh, doctors have advised me to hold off going back for a while, for at least until full uh, physical recovery, because they said if there's a third time now, this will be your last one. This is what they told me directly. But I will absolutely go back, and we will continue doing what we're doing. Because there are many people in Russia who reject this regime and what it stands for. You don't hear their voices. I mean, a minute ago, you mentioned the so-called popularity of Putin, his fake popularity created by controlled media, the lack of free and fair elections, uh, and and total political control, basically, and, uh, you know, partly fear, partly propaganda. The fact is, I mean, I travel widely around Russia, beyond Moscow, beyond St. Petersburg, in, in various regions, east to west, and everywhere I go, there are people who are fed up with this regime, with its corruption, with its political control, who want to see a different future for Russia. And frankly, I think these people represent the best hope uh, for the future of our country, and it is for their sake that we have to continue working. Vladimir Karamurza returned to Russia two months after Putin's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. He was arrested days later and has been in prison ever since. 
In April 2023, he was sentenced to 25 years for treason based on his criticism of Putin's invasion. His wife, Yevgenia Karamoza, stayed in the U.S. with their three children. She now campaigns on his behalf. I spoke to her last year from her adopted home in the U.S., and she described the unbreakable will of her husband. In 2015 and 2017, my husband was poisoned, and both times the doctors gave him a 5% chance of survival. He was very lucky to survive, and he relearned how to walk and talk and, uh, you know, carry out the simplest of tasks. And then he continued his work because he believes it to be more important, bigger than himself, if you want. And uh, I've always known who I'm married to. I've lived with him for almost 20 years. And uh, I, I deeply admire and respect my husband for his steadfastness in his uh, fight for his principled stand and for his refusal to back down, refusal to be intimidated no matter what. I deeply respect and admire him for that, and I'm going to fight for him for as long as I stand. That is a, a, a powerful sentiment. I, I just wonder whether you've had any opportunity to talk to him in, in recent months and whether there's any part of him sitting in that detention centre right now under the conditions you've described that, that sort of regrets his determination to go back? He definitely does not regret his determination to be in Russia and to fight uh, the regime because to him, silence means complicity. And that he would never do. It's, it's something that my husband is incapable of. He is, of course, concerned uh, about, you know, funny, he is the one in prison. He is the one facing up to 24 years for treason, as the government calls him, uh, calls his uh, public um, protest against what's happening. Uh, but he's concerned about me and the kids. And that is also very much my husband. Uh, I'm a grown-up uh, girl. I can handle a lot, and I've proven it over the years that I can. Are you and able? I will just continue fighting with my husband. Are you able to talk to him? Have you talked to him? I haven't talked or seen him since April. That must be very and hard. And neither, actually, nor have the kids. And recently, uh, just in December... He received an official ban on conversations with his children. And that is just psychological pressure that they use against protesters, against uh, activists, against uh, just regular people who go out in the streets. Uh, they try to break them. And if they cannot do it with physical methods by using torture and violence or punitive psychiatry, they apply psychological methods like this. This is the documentary from the BBC World Service. I'm Stephen Sacker, looking back at past encounters with those Russians who have dared to challenge Vladimir Putin. As Vladimir Putin tightened his grip on power in the early 2000s, he made it clear to Russia's post-communist economic elite that their freedom to make money depended on their staying out of politics. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, one of the country's richest men, had been an early Putin backer. But when he started to rail against Kremlin corruption, he quickly became an enemy. 
In 2005, he was arrested and found guilty of financial crimes. He spent a decade in prison and was then exiled. I spoke to him just weeks after Russia's all-out invasion of Ukraine, and I asked him if he regretted his initial support for Putin. Of course I regret it. Listen, I started regretting it in 2002-2003 when I told Putin in the Kremlin that his system was built on corruption and was ruining our country. From that moment on, I regretted having seen Putin in 2000-2001 as a normal person, someone who would continue the democratic revolution in Russia. Do you think he changed? Or did you get him wrong at the beginning? In my own defense, obviously, I would like to say that he changed. And of course, he did change. But unfortunately, yes, I am among the people he managed to fool. I wish I had been more astute at the time, and I regret it every day. The Soviet Empire collapsed 30 years ago. In countries like Ukraine, they have begun to build a civil society, democratic institutions, the rule of law. It's very far from perfect, but the process has begun. Why? Three decades on, has that process not even really begun in Russia? And people like you have poured money into Open Russia Foundation and other civil society initiatives have failed. Why? In fact, inside Russian society, there have been very noticeable and very considerable changes. It seems strange to think of it now, but in 2000 I felt that within 10 years Russia would become a normal democratic country. Everything was ready for that. How did a relatively small group of losers headed by Vladimir Putin manage to take over a large part of the Russian population? Of course, there are objective reasons for it. A large proportion of the Russian population considered themselves defeated. They had a feeling that they had lost, even though they were actually on the cusp of victory, a real victory in achieving the good life. That was our biggest mistake. We, the reformers, did not manage to show the people in 2000 that they had very nearly won. Do you feel ashamed of your own country today? It is a terrible feeling when your own motherland starts a war against the motherland of your ancestors. I don't know if you can understand this feeling. For people like me, whose whole family originally came from Ukraine, although both my parents and I were born in Russia, now one part of my motherland is fighting against another part of my motherland. I know Ukrainians are often offended by this, but for me, it is a civil war. It is a civil war in which I am losing my friends, people I once had very close relationships with. We are simply ending up on different sides of the barricades. Am I ashamed? Yes, I am ashamed, because I cannot explain to every Ukrainian that this is not my doing. Vladimir Putin insists that his rule commands overwhelming popular support. And his poll ratings are consistently high. And when elections come round, he does win handsomely. 
But this in a country where the state exercises tight control over all media and information, where rival political candidates are carefully vetted. Those seen as a real threat are blocked. Those who are not can be useful tokens in the Kremlin's carefully choreographed elections. In 2018, that role fell to Zhenia Sobchak, who stood against Vladimir Putin for the presidency, an election that Alexei Navalny was barred from running in. She had little political experience, but she did have close family ties to Vladimir Putin. Navalny, talking about you, said, "Ah, the difference is Putin hasn't helped my family." Clearly, pointing to the fact that Putin was the protege of your own father. You knew him throughout、I'm、your life as a to, friend of the family. I'm sorry to disappoint you or to disappoint Navalny, but it's better to say that Putin was a protege of my father. My father yes, that's, that's was a mayor of your, your Saint Petersburg. So it's when not. Putin was a junior. Yes, junior but Navalny says no one helped my father whatsoever. It's my father. Who helped Putin to work with him? So, and Putin、uh, was one of the people he worked with. Yeah, but, but I was ten years what, old no, at this time. If you would answer me this direct question, why so, have you always avoided saying that Putin himself is deeply corrupt? As Navalny puts it, the father of Russian corruption. You have never attacked. Putin personally, indeed, when Boris Nemtsov was assassinated, and many critics of Putin said that Putin was behind it, you said absolutely not. That is not what Vladimir Putin would do. Why do you defend him in this way? I'm not defending him. I'm just telling the truth, even if it's political, not unsuitable. I really think that Putin didn't say anyone to kill Nemtsov. I know that it's beyond. What he would decide. Nemtsov was、know? not an enemy. You know I'm just totally sure about the principles on which you know they stand. He would never say it like this. In the end, Ms. Subchak won just 1.7 percent of the vote in the 2018 election, and Putin romped home with 77 percent. Ms. Subchak has since been reminded of the need for constant loyalty. Last October, she briefly fled Russia as three employees of her media company were arrested on suspicion of extortion. And when she returned home, she had to issue an apology. Of all the interviewees in this program, one is imprisoned, two are in exile, and two are dead. To stand up to Vladimir Putin means risking everything. And the last words must go to the late Alexei Navalny. Who returned home having survived poisoning, fully aware that the Kremlin would do anything to silence him? There is a word for that: it's courage. At what point would you decide that this is not worth it? That you're you've had enough? I really hope that it will be never such a moment when I decide this, because it means that everything is useless. What I've done before this, all this sacrifice made from my family, my brother, made by Boris Nemtsov, who was killed, he was shot in the back,、uh, close to the Kremlin.、Uh, a lot of other people. We have、uh, political、uh, prisoners, hundreds of them, all over the Russia. And、uh, if I will stop, it means all this sacrifice, this are、uh, useless. And they are not. And I do believe in what I'm doing. And I do believe that my alternative is better for Russia. And I'm 
absolutely agree, I, and I'm absolutely sure that we will succeed, and I believe in victory. Trends, political trends, they are changing. People became poor, people, people asking questions. And I have the support from family and from people, and I'm uh, not going to let them down. If you'd like to listen to in-depth, hard-hitting interviews with newsmakers from around the world, search for Hard Talk wherever you get your BBC podcasts. In 1969, a plan to show support for an anti-racism protest turned the lives of 14 promising black student-athletes upside down. I don't think we realized what the true flavor of Wyoming was back in 1969. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells the story of the Black 14. There was a rebel Confederate flag being flown. It was different. It was definitely different. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.